Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Blog Talk Radio. My life has led me down the road that's so uncertain. Now I am left alone and I am broken. Trying to find my way, trying to find the faith that's gone. This time, I know that you are holding all the answers. I'm tired of losing hope and taking chances.
Welcome to Kingdom of God or Nothing. This is your host, Mark Lipton Walter, coming to you on this 29th day of June 2016. You can find us at com forward slash the Kingdom of God or Nothing, or also in the archives at the Kingdom of God or Nothing.com and on iTunes and podcasts. That's uh, the Kingdom of God or Nothing there, too. Um, you can call in. The guest call number is 516-387-1641. That's 516-387-1641. And there is a guest by uh, chat room available on blogtalkradio.com as well. Let's see here. Blogtalkradio.com forward slash the kingdom of God or nothing. I'm just replying real quick to somebody on Facebook who asked me what reference do you speak of of Joseph uh, Smith that thought my ghost would come. So let's go to that real quick. Uh, Let's see here. The whole ghost. This is Joseph Smith. It was said in May of 1844. The Holy Ghost is yet a spiritual body and is waiting to take himself a body of the sincere dead. Uh, another place uh, was given in 1843. Joseph Smith said the Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation, which if he should perform in righteousness, he may pass through the same or similar course of things that the Son has. <clears throat> and that was uh, Joseph Smith, words of Joseph Smith, page 245, Sabbath day ad- address in Nauvoo, 27th of August, to, or I mean, uh, 1843, is by Franklin D. Richards. Uh, this this particular quote gets people confused because Joseph also said, if I told you who I was, there's people behind me on the stand that would kill me. And he was talking about William Law, I think. And there's two guys, I can't remember what their names are. But anyway, but there were apostates that were still in the church and were, they were conspiring against Joseph. Because of this statement, a lot of people believe that Joseph Smith is the Holy Ghost. But it contradicts what he said in 1844, and it also contradicts Doctrine and Covenants section 130, where Joseph is told by God the Father and the Son have bodies that are flesh, uh, resurrected, you know, flesh and bone, but the Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, is a spirit body. So if Joseph Smith's the Holy Ghost, um, well, why would it say it was a spirit body? And so for a while there, I believed that Joseph Smith was the Holy Ghost, uh, even though I'd been shown who I am, uh, was a position I had in, uh, in the pre-existence, but I'm a little slow and takes me a little bit. So anyway, so, um, <laughs> I, I was like, well, I'm like, father, what does this mean? Um, the Holy ghost is in a state of probation, which if he should perform in righteousness. He may pass through the same or similar course of events that the son has. And the Holy Father told me that when we were given a choice between uh, Lucifer's plan and the uh, plan, we were then put in a state of probation to see what we would choose. It is a state of spiritual probation. So we have a spirit probation, and those who pass the first estate, 
they pass on to mortality, and those that do not pass the first estate, they don't pass on to mortality. Uh, they they become demons. They never get bodies. So um, actually, let's see if we can find that real quick. Just going on my little tangents here. We're going to read something a little bit uh, later after I get through this, but. Um, I used to, I had a special way of doing missionary work when I was on my mission, which was way more successful than the way they were doing it back then. Um, and one of the scriptures I used showed uh, the pre-existence. Now, I don't have that plan anymore, but I still have those scriptures in my head, but it's been a long time since I've used those scriptures, you know, to do missionary work. So I could just... Uh, this computer work. I think lbs.org figured out what my I, uh, my IP address is because I've been having all kinds of problems trying to get onto this lbs.org completely. Page unresponsive. Like, how dare he use our uh, website to look up scripture? Well, scriptures don't belong to you, LDS Church. Let's see here. Oh, I've got other ways to do this as well. Let's see if I can find scriptures on my iPod. Pull us up scriptures. We'll see if we can find first estate. Search the scriptures. Oh, everything's slow tonight. Wow. I just can't get anything to come up here. Connected in Netgear. Let's see if I can use this other scripture app. I've got a couple of different. Oh, that one doesn't work either. What the heck? First estate. I can look it up in the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Way over there. Way away from where I'm sitting. I'm so glad that you're not on. Air, Kim, because that's like information I did not need to know. <laughs> oh, by the way, everybody, thank you for wishing me a happy birthday. I am 39 today. I have no idea how I got to be this age. Sometimes I feel like I'm still in my 20s. My body feels like it's in my 60s. <laughs> okay, it's letting me go now. Up one in the New Testament. Let's see here. Ah, here. Okay. This is Jude chapter 1, verse 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Oh, that's not the one I was looking for. Let's see if we can find a different one here. How this app works. Okay, there's apparently two in the uh, book of Abraham. Uh, Kim, 
I am hearing you're not muted. Say hi. Can you hear me now? I can absolutely hear you. Oh, I thought I muted me. Yeah. She's laying down in the big bean bag chair. She's cold. <laughs> I was gonna try to use scripture apps over here too, but I don't think it's helping out your cause. Okay, I'm just gonna read a couple different scriptures. And there was one that stood in my actually let's read this. See this is good stuff right here. Of course, I love all the scriptures, but and I dwell in the midst of them all, and now therefore have come down unto thee to declare unto thee the works which my hands have made, wherein my wisdom excelleth them all, for I rule in the heavens above and in the earth beneath, and all wisdom and prudence over all, in, all the intelligences thine eyes have seen from the beginning. And I came down in the beginning in the midst of of the intelligence intelligences thou hast seen. Now the Lord had shown unto me, Abraham, the intelligences that were organized before the world was. Now intelligences is what happened or that that's basically the spirits because there's something called the intelligence that when God uh, makes that self war it becomes a spirit. And when it becomes a spirit, the feminine and the masculine, they separate, and you've got a male and a female. Everybody has this is the way it's done. So when he's talking about the intelligences, he's talking about the spirits that were organized before the foundation of the world. This is the pre-existence, and we all were there. Bell is clutched over our mind when we come down into this life. Anyway, but so um, Abraham saw the intelligences that were organized before the world was. Among these, there were many noble and great ones. And God saw these souls, and they were good. And he stood in the midst of them and said, These I will make my rulers. For he stood among those that were spirits, and he saw that they were good. And he said unto Abraham, Thou art one of them. Thou was chosen before thou was born, uh, born. Now, if this guy was living today, they'd be like, whatever, Abraham, you're up in the night, you know, out of the moon, you're crazy, we don't believe you, but because that's how people treat uh, the true prophets today. They love the false prophets, but they just can't even stand the true prophets. Anyway, verse 24, and there stood one among them that was like unto God, and he said... And to those who are with him, we will go down, for there is space there, and we will take of these materials, and we will make an earth whereon these may dwell. And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. And they who keep their first estate shall be added upon, and they who keep not their first estate shall not have glory in the same kingdom with those that keep their first estate, and they who keep their second estate shall have glory added upon the, um, upon their heads forever and ever. And the Lord said, Whom um, shall I send? And one answered, Like unto the Son of Man, Here am I, send me. And another answered and said, Here am I, send me. And the Lord said, I will send the first. And the second was angry and kept not his first estate nor his first probation, or his spiritual probation, and at that time, many, uh, and in that day, many followed after him. That was Lucifer. That's when he fell. 
That's when uh, God went among the mighty and strong and chose one from among them to take his place. Um, Lucifer lost his name and he became Hasatan or Satan, the accuser of the brethren. So he lost his name, which was his title. Lucifer means the light bearer. It's the, uh, let me get into that. Anyway, the Abraham chapter 4, verse 1. And then the Lord said, let us go down. And they went down at the beginning, and they, that is the gods, or the Elohim, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. And after the earth was formed, um, was empty and desolate because they had not formed anything but the earth, and the darkness reigned upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of the gods was brooding upon the face of the waters, either the Adamah. And they, the gods, said, let there be light, and there was light. And they, the gods, so actually this is uh, Jehovah and Michael, and they, the gods, comprehended the light, for it was bright, and they divided the light and caused it to be uh, divided from the darkness. And the gods called the light day, and the darkness they called night. It came to pass the evening until the morning they called night. And from the morning until the evening, they called day. Oh, yeah, sorry, I got that wrong. From the morning to the evening, they called day. And this was the first or the beginning of that which they called day and night. And the gods also said, let us be, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Actually, I'm not getting into this. But what I'm just showing you is that um, the first estate or the first probation was a state of spiritual probation. And that's what Joseph Smith was talking about when he said, see if I can bring this up again. The Holy Ghost is now in a state of probation or a the first estate or a spiritual probation, which if he should perform in righteousness, he may pass through a same or similar course of things as the son had and then, like I said before, uh, the other quote, the Holy Ghost is yet a spiritual body waiting, and is waiting to take himself a body as the Savior did. Now, some other people are like, oh, well, this means that the Holy Ghost is eventually going to get to be, uh, you know, have a body on another earth, and that's not what it means at all. So um, if people would understand multiple mortal probations, multiple mortal probations, you would understand these things. Right? Like, you know, the church has lost, lost that as well. Anyway, let me see here. Let's see here. So... I want to I want to post this for this guy because he's like the Holy Ghost is never coming down. It's like, brother, you know you can lead people to to you know the water, but you can't make them drink. I spend a little, or try to spend some time in the morning after I get off of work doing this stuff. Um, I only get about five hours of sleep a day, but anyway, you know what? Let's get into the uh, 
the reading here. Let me just pull this other thing up and close this out. Emmett um, is the uh, steak cooking. Okay, thank you. All right, let's. De- I'll dedicate the program, then we'll get into uh, the reading tonight. So we're just finishing up with uh, part seven of what we've been reading on to the remnant. Um, I have no. I haven't read it yet, so I have no idea what they're going to talk about next. Last night was pretty interesting, though. So, anyway, I'll dedicate the program, and we'll just get into it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we look forward to the time of Zion's redemption. We ask thee, Father, that we would be able to be tools in thine hand to help bring forth this work that thou hast started at this time, that we might teach people, that they might learn from us and from the Holy Spirit, that they may be prophets unto themselves, that they might receive thy word and thy testimony. We love thee, Father, and we are thankful for our great many blessings. We thank thee for thy Son, Jesus Christ, for paying for our sins and uh, preparing us to be able to come back into thy presence. We thank thee, Father, for all of our many blessings, and we dedicate this time unto thee and this radio program unto thee as well. We say these things in the name of Yeshua, Messiah. Amen. Okay. Make this a little bit smaller so that it's not covering the whole screen. I need a new computer because I've got this big crack across the screen, but I can't afford it. Even though I work six days a week for a month straight. The money always seems to go somewhere. (laughs) Anyway, all right, so uh, this is to the remnant. Quote, wherefore they, wherefore they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer and at the end the very points of his doctrine, that they may know how to come unto him and be saved. First Nephi chapter 15, verse 14. Uh, Helaman chapter 12, verse 6. Behold, they do not, de- uh, they do not desire that the word of God that hath created them should rule and reign over them, notwithstanding his great goodness. And his mercy towards them, they do set at naught his counsels, and they will not that it would, they will not be, he should be their guide. That's Helaman chapter four, verse six. In this series, we've examined the common LDS understanding of what a prophet is as compared with scriptural teachings. Let's see here. I'm going to make this bigger so I can read it better. If you haven't yet read the first six parts of this prophet uh, of this prophet series, they they're necessary to understand today's final installment. Here are the links to prior posts. Now I've posted uh, yesterday's program or uh, our yesterday's reading uh, this website on my wall at Facebook. Anybody wants to go and find that will be on part seven. Um, my Facebook is facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. That's Lazarus 1977. And most of my posts are public. Everybody can go on there. Uh, if you want to friend request me, that's great. If you want to follow me, that's fine too. I made that available for people. And this is my public profile. So 
uh, go ahead and take a look there. Anyway, and now before we conclude, I, let's review some of the ideas already covered. Number one, God calls and speaks to whomever he will when he wants to, his message, uh, or whoever he wants his message delivered. That's what Tom Perry talked about, like when he came to meet me, he slapped me on the back and he said, well, I was the one that chooses those prophets because we sure don't. Um, there is no office, credentials, position, or authority required other than God's word to whom, to one whom he has chosen. The message is the authority. So when God chose Amos out of the field, you know, he was a lowly shepherd, and he said, you know, go give this message, you know, and Amos had no position in the church at all. I'm actually talking to a guy that right now he's like, well, you're not in the hierarchy of the church, and if you really were a prophet, then you would be uh, called by God to the leadership of the church. I'm like, wow, you know, you, you know, these people, they only get or and read what the church teaches them and what the church gives to them, and cannot see the block there, uh, box. They're blind and deaf and dumb. They have no idea what's going on. Anyway, um, prophecy, seership, and revelation are spiritual gifts, not church offices. The church cannot ordain a man as a prophet. Uh, In fact, we're all supposed to be prophets. Christ told us specifically to know true prophets by their fruits. If there are no fruits, uh, they are not prophets. A message from God is identified as coming from God. We cannot claim something came from God simply because a particular man spoke it. God's messengers clearly state the origin of the message. So they say, thus saith the Lord, or whatever God says, but it it comes from God. It's not a to whom it may concern. It's not a conference talk. You you can speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, and those words can be truth, but it doesn't mean to thus saith the Lord revelation. Anyway, those called prophets and others are church exhibit no prophetic gifts or other live and function as wealthy celebrity rulers over an earthly kingdom that we call a church. That's the other thing, too. It drives me nuts when they're like, well, I know the church is true. It's like, you know what? If you don't know the gospel's true, you don't know anything. You think the church and the gospel are the same, and they are not. Not at all. Um, true messengers are almost never recognized and heeded, but rather are persecuted, cast out, and often killed. This pattern has persisted as long as mankind has been on this earth. And it's, it drives me nuts too, because people that know this, they know this, and they still reject the prophets when they come to them. You know, it's like, you know, what part of like, when God told us to be as little children and be believing as little children, don't you understand? See, if you truly trusted God, you would believe the false prophets. You would believe there were true prophets. You would go to your father like a little child, and you would say, is Santa Claus well? And he would tell you, you know, the truth. Is this prophet really uh, one of your messengers? And you believe and he would let you know the truth. Of course, you've got to study it out. You know, you can't just run to God and, you know, you take no thought saying one way to pray. Um, that's being in section 8 or 9. I can't remember. Anyway, the other leaders and members make the scripture, unscriptural claim 
that it is utterly impossible for them to lead us astray, even though every prior dispensation was led astray and uh, degenerated into apostasy. Somehow we're supposedly immune to this constant pattern of human religious failing because we're special or it's chosen or something. And that's another thing, too, like... This guy is like, well, how's there been any changes? I've been a member all my life, and I've never seen any changes. I guess way he's not that old. I don't know how the guy is, but like apostasy is a very slow, creeping thing. It happens very slow, a little bit here, a little bit there. But if you're a scriptorian and you're a uh, you know somebody who studies history especially church history, you know the changes that have happened. You can find them. But when the church does this uh, cafeteria picking and choosing of past presidents of the church and then, uh, you know, spoon feeds it like verbal baby food to, to the members, they don't know any different. But there's been huge changes. And uh, if the president of the church can't lead you astray, and I've said this a million times, when, when President Brigham Young taught from the pulpit in General Conference, which you can find in Journal Discourses, Volume 1, page 50, and other places, that Adam, God, Adam was, uh, Michael was God the Father, and he came from an older earth with one of his wives. That's the Adam-God doctrine. Now they're saying it's a theory, and Bruce R. McConkie and Spencer Kimball say it's heresy, but the president of the church taught us in a general conference. So <laughs> if the president can't lead you astray, who's lying? Is the false prophets today lying, or is the prophet Brigham Young lying? Which one? Because you can't have it both ways. You know, either Brigham Young can't lead you astray and the Adam-God doctrine is true, or these guys now have hijacked the church and they call themselves prophets, pat themselves on the back and lead the church astray. And, you know, you can't have it both ways. The infallibility doctrine that Wilfred Woodruff came up with because of the manifesto is false doctrine. You can find it nowhere in scripture. Um, continuing, yeah, our scriptural our scriptures plainly state that the church was under condemn, condemnation in 1832, and you can find that in section 84. That the fullness of the priesthood was taken from the church by 1841. I have a little bit of problem with that, and we've talked about that in the past. But fullness of the priesthood was never restored, which can only be given by the Father, which these people don't understand, because they say the Melchizedek priesthood can only be given by the Father. But Peter, James, and John gave it, and Joseph gave it to others. It's the fullness that can only be given by the Father, not the Melchizedek priesthood. In order to receive, like the Father, to receive the endowments of the Father, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood, and then you receive his hand on your head, and you receive the fullness of his priesthood. You, you can't do it any other way. The, the, the fullness of the priesthood was lost to the earth in the apostasy. It should have been restored in 18, uh, by 1844. The, the people in Nauvoo dragged their feet and hindered the work. There was a curse of four generations. The curse is being lifted. The fullness of the priesthood has been restored to the earth. Uh, to myself by the hands of the Father, 
who I saw in the flash in 2003. So, anyway, um, let's see here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm just going to read it. The fullness of the priesthood was taken from the church by 1841, and the conditions for its return were never met, but remains lost today. Adrian Marson doesn't understand. He hasn't been given the information. I talked to him on Facebook yesterday, and uh, he said he didn't have a problem with me reading this on my radio program. Um, and he said that he's heard of me a little bit, but not a lot. And most people, they don't say good things about me. They say, oh, he's crazy, and he's up in the night. And, you know, they make all kinds of excuses why I'm some horrible evil degenerate false prophet or something, but, you know, um, but he doesn't know who I am. Anyway, he's, we friend, I friend requested him and he accepted it, so maybe he'll start to learn. Um, but God has indeed followed the prophetic pattern in our day to begin restoring what was lost with the death of Joseph Smith. The Lord has sent a man named Denver Snuffer to deliver a message. But he has also sent Jake Hilton, Joshua Sparks, our boy, myself, Samuel Warren Schaefer. Um, he sent, and he is sending many prophets. Denver, just he's a lawyer, and he's able to write pretty good at it, and he's written some really good books, and he did just deliver a message. And the reason why he's so well-known is because a lot of his books were sold to members of the church, Deseret Book, which is a uh, you know church uh, bookstore, and Single Book and Tape before they finally excommunicated him uh, for writing "Passing the Heavenly Gift" and exposing exposing these things. So a lot of people know who he is, but they don't know who we are, the other prophets and apostles that have come. And I, you know. I think it's interesting. Jake Hilton saw the hands, and I think he had his head down when Jesus came to him. I have a friend up in Idaho. His name is Paul. He had tried to take his life, and the Savior came to him, and he was so ashamed of what he had done that the only witness that Paul has of the Savior is his feet because he was down on his hands and knees because he was so ashamed um, because just some really bad things were going on in his life. And Jesus came to him in the flesh, and he saw the nail prints in his feet. And that's all he saw. Jake Hilton, when Jesus came to him, um, I, I believe he put it because the picture that he shows of Jesus, it doesn't look like Jesus at all. And so, and but he testifies that when Jesus came, there was four other angels that came to prepare him to be in the presence of Jesus. And when he came, Jesus grabbed him on the shoulders and I, like ran his hands down his arms and grabbed his hands. And he saw the hands of Jesus Christ. I think I don't think that he actually saw him, but he saw the hands, and he saw the nail prints in his hands, in his wrists. You know, they're still apostles. They've seen him face to face. Joshua Sparks, he saw him when he was 13 or 14 years old. 
he woke up and Jesus was sitting on his bed and Jesus gave him a bear hug and he felt his flesh. Now, Art Bola was caught up to the third heaven and shown many things, and he saw the Savior in, uh, in, in the spirit, at least, you know. So that's what we call a 70 apostle. It's different than the Quorum of the Twelve. And Frederick, or Samuel Warren Schaefer, was caught up, and he was taken to Jehovah in the celestial, uh, celestial world. So and, and many other things too. You can find that vision of the Elohim. I think I've got it posted at the Kingdom of God or Nothing dot com. But he's also a prophet, seer, and revelator, and a translator. Anyway, continuing. But God has indeed followed the prophetic pattern in our. Oh wait, I already read that part. I'm filling my meat. She can't have that much. <laughs> it's a birthday steak. <laughs> Kim's like what? <laughs> anyway, um. Due to the prophetic pattern, the message has been rejected by those who claim that it cannot be deceived, and the messenger has been cast out. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And so this brings us to today's conclusion, uh, concluding installment of this series. It's time to ask why, more specifically, why do otherwise intelligent LDS people insist on following men and calling them prophets in light of everything discussed so far in this series? Why do they refuse to recognize or admit that uh, what is plainly obvious to anyone who cares to study the matter out in Scripture? Because they're slothful. And it's easier to follow a prophet. Well, especially an established one. And, and, you know, I mean, you can put the prophet up on a pedestal and you don't see him as a man. What? Oh, yeah, plus everybody else is doing it, so why not? You know, it's a cultural thing. Of course, if you start following another prophet, then you're rejected by the whole church and your family and everyone else. So, But, but that's a test. Amber C. Kimball said that there would be a test and few would have to test, right? Well, this is part of the test. And the test that the Jews have is the same test that, uh, that we have today. They rejected the Savior when he came to them, and they reject the witness and the prophets that come to them today. But they've done that in all ages of history. They rejected Lehi and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these prophets. So, you know, and they were the church at the time. You know, they were the the, the leaders of the church rejected the prophets who, who came up out of some shepherd's field somewhere or came up out of Nazareth or wherever, you know, they came. And why has the... And why has the follow the prophet doctor become elevated every um, above every other teaching or practice in the LDS church to the point that is it's the only doctrine left and one that will get you excommunicated if you disagree? And that's another thing that drives me nuts too. I still go to the LDS church, and whenever I'm walking over to Sunday school or whatever, and I hear those little children singing the, the hymns. Every single week, it's beat into their head, follow the prophet. You know, no, don't follow Christ, follow the prophet. You know, this stupid brainwashing mantra that they give to the kids. It's a dead, dying church that is sinking, and they are struggling to keep members. So if they can brainwash them, and they'll teach you truth. And you'll feel the Holy Spirit, and because you feel the Holy Spirit, you'll think, well, this must be the right church. You know, when I was Baptist, my preacher taught truth. 
He taught error, too, but he did teach truth. And I did feel the Holy Spirit when he taught me about Jesus Christ. He did mean he was a prophet. Because the Holy Spirit teaches truth wherever it's spoken. Uh, to put a finer point on it, consider this are the, are this scene, which is familiar in every um, temple endowed Latter-day Saint. Okay. It's, it's a picture of Adam and Eve at an altar with the skins. Um, it's like a 1960s picture, I think. Anyway, Adam, on finding himself in the lone and dreary world, built an altar and offered prayer, but his prayer was interrupted by Lucifer. Lucifer says, what do you want? Adam, I'm looking for messengers. Lucifer, oh, you want someone to preach to you? You want religion, do you? There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with scripture. Adam, but I am looking for messengers from my father. You know, that that has actually been changed from the original endowment. Like they've taken parts even out of that. Just that little tiny excerpt, right? Oh, it drives me nuts. Anyway, and, and we have the restore, uh, restored endowments as well. Um, as well as the second and third endowments, but anyway. And there is this brief exchange. Why uh, there and there in this brief exchange lies the crux of the question. Behind door number one were offered the philosophies of men mingled with scripture. Behind door number two were offered true messengers sent by God. Adam chose door number two and he got true messengers. Adam's descendants have almost universally opted for door number one, seeking men who teach with their learning the precepts of men while denying the Holy Ghost and the power of God, uh, as spoken of in 2 Nephi chapter 28, verses 4 and 5. Um, according to the words of Jesus Christ, it was this very condition which prompted the Latter-day Restoration in the first place. Um, Joseph Smith, History, Volume, or well, that's Chapter 1, Verse 19. Why do they even say Chapter 1? Because it's one chapter. The whole thing is one chapter. They should say Joseph Smith, History, Verse 19. And they teach for doctrines the commandments of men having a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The power is the priesthood. They deny the priesthood of God. Um, and so we're back to the question, why why do we tend to adore false messengers and shun true ones? Why will someone angrily shout that they know a man who's never, uh, who has never prophesied is a prophet? Because they're brainwashed. It's a cult. Uh, the gentle affliction. In Luke chapter 22, we find the following. Vignette. What's V-I-G-N-E-T-T-E? -E? I don't know what that word even means. Let me see if I can look it up on that. <laughs> it says translate to English. <laughs> this page is being... Oh, the whole page. No, I didn't want the whole page. Okay, I'm not doing that. It's just going to screw me up. hope it doesn't screw me up. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Luke chapter 22, 24 through 25. And there was also a strife among them, which which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, the kings 
of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Interesting. When Christ's followers argued about who should be the greatest, our Lord reminded them that the Gentiles sought to rule and be ruled. In fact, the Gentiles even went so far as to call they that exercise authority upon them benefactors. The Gentiles not only wanted rulers to rule over them, but they wanted honor, honored and praised, um, but they actually honored and praised their rulers. Why? Because they wanted to be ruled. Um, it is said, it is, it's as if they said, please tell us what to do. Make our decisions for us. Exercise lordship over us. Give us rules to follow. Command us in all things. Although that sounds harsh and even foolish, this was exactly the case, not just for the Gentiles. And that's another thing about the, the Snufferites, too. So, Denver Snuffer wrote an article about the strong man, uh, you know, how these uh, people, you know, the prophets in the church, like, what are you doing? Okay. Anyway, um, you know, they don't want somebody to rule over them, but that's the way it is in the heavens. There is actually a hierarchy of order, right? And somebody who rules over them needs to rule with righteousness and kindness and those type of things and not allow for dominion and all that sort of stuff. But there is a head. Joseph Smith was the Lord's anointed and appointed to be the head of the church in that day and age. Denver Snuffer knows that he's not the head of the church. But there has to be a head. So, you know, I mean... But they, they don't want, they're like tired of the strong man thing, you know, and Denver's talked about it too. But anyway, I'm just going to go on. It just, there's a disconnect. And it's like the pendulum was swung so far to the one way that, and it's swinging back, and they don't want anything to do with one side when the whole thing is part of it. But anyway, in fact, this condition is nearly universal among all of us fallen mortals. Monarchy was the most common form of government on the earth until the 19th century, and since then we've just swapped it out for a panel, panoply of elected officials who, for the most part, seek after power and gain uh, by exercise authority over the, or some, or over the rest of us. Some don't even bother pretending to follow the Constitution anymore, hence the saying that when it, it comes to elected office, anyone who actually wants a job, job should never be trusted with it. Kim, can you, like, read this while I'm... Oh, did you want me to give you the computer so I can uh, eat my food before it gets cold? Emmett, take this over the moment. It's where it needs to be. I think the computer's fully charged. Take it over to mom. Thank you. It doesn't matter. Oh. Let's see here. I hope my phone doesn't die. I'm going to mute my phone so Kim can read. Okay. Can you hear me, though? Okay. Um, so let's see. Are you at but think about this? Panopoly? Hmm. There's nothing about Panopoly on here. Hmm. I have, let's see, it says, hence the saying that when it comes to elected office, anyone who actually wants the job should never be trusted with it. 
But think about this. The issue of who should rule didn't originate in this world. Read this from Moses 4. And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying that Satan... I always want to read that like Satan. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That Satan... Whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine, holy be only begotten, is the same which was from the beginning, and he came before me, saying, Behold, here am I, send me, I will be thy son, and I will redeem all mankind, that one soul shall not be lost, and surely I will do it. Therefore, give me thine honor. Verse 2, But behold, my beloved son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, said unto me, Father, Thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. Verse 3, Wherefore, because that Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of man, which I, the Lord God, had given him, and also that I should give unto him mine own power, by the power of mine only begotten, I caused that he should be cast down. And verse 4, And he became Satan, yea, even the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive into blind men, and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my voice. As you can see, Satan proposed to redeem all mankind on the condition that he received the Father's honor and power, or in other words, he sought the right to rule over the human family, and he proposed to do it by destroying our agency. I think that that way is the way that it's always commonly um, taught and thought of in in um, the LDS church and, you know, in the world that's the way that it's always taught and um i've had my eyes opened to um maybe a newer meaning and not just um that way but satan as a being and also a brother of ours and this is not like condoning anything that he does but um it's interesting to think that he did want everybody to be saved he did love his brothers and sisters, he wanted all of us to be saved with him. So he, you don't believe that? You're shaking your head no. I believe that he was trying to skip steps to becoming God the Father. Yeah, that makes sense too. And he was giving them something to try to entice them to get people to follow so he could usurp authority over the Father and the Son because he was actually... He was actually third in line. He would have been the Holy Ghost if he didn't rebel. So that's interesting. Do you remember the person that you met before, um, who was claiming to be his soulmate, and how she feels like it was? Okay, so I met her in 2013. Mm-hmm. And um, she actually told me a bunch of stuff. Apparently, her father is uh, one of the church, kind of church security. Mm-hmm. But she, so every soul has a soulmate. Or every intelligence, when it becomes a spirit, it, it becomes male and female. And this woman is the soulmate of Lucifer. And when he fell, she went into the light and he went into the darkness. What she believes is that, um, and I'm not sure if she remembers this or how exactly it is, 
And it's really weird being in a home because Lucifer was there, but he wasn't violent and he wasn't angry. He was very calm. So it was really weird feeling. Anyway, and um, she believed that he chose to be the opposition. He made uh, because he was asked to do it, which happens on every world. There has to be opposition. Now, something happened that caused it to go way further than it ever has before. And he could be redeemed, according to her. And that is her uh, her mission that God has sent her on the earth. Um, and I'm not exactly sure she tried to explain it to me, but I don't know, maybe she's just crazy. But I don't know. I Maybe we're all just crazy and up in the night, howling at the moon. But anyway, yeah, his his soulmate. She lives in West Valley, and she is in her late twenties now. Has one little child, so and she listens to the radio program. So interesting. Okay, even now in his fallen state, he seeks to captivate all men to do his will, which they do by ignoring the voice of God. Satan cannot enforce his rule by coercive power, so he seeks to do so by enticement, pretending to be the god of this world, and even wearing the emblems of his pretend power and priesthoods in the endowment presentation. Prior to his eviction from on high, Satan managed to convert a part of the host of heaven to his way of thinking. There were actually a good number of those who stood in the presence of God who thought Satan's approach was better with its no-loss guarantee, which is what I was thinking, because of its no-agency stipulation. Fearsome freedom. I believe Satan was successful in convincing many because of fear, without guarantees of success in place. Some would be lost. I believe many feared to face this possibility and so sided with Satan. I believe the rest of us, though still fearful, Sided with Christ and came here to try that. To try, sorry. That fear yet persists in nearly all of us, and so we're back to the Gentile fiction. We want to be ruled and call our rulers our benefactors. We want to be told what to do so we can be absolved of the terrifying responsibility for how we exercise our agency. We want to be able to point to a man and say, I'll follow him. He cannot lead me astray which was and still remains Satan's plan. And thus, stripped of agency and the growth it was designed to bring us, we seek and follow rulers to hell as Satan left. That serpent is subtle in deep, Moses 4, 5. Hearing the voice of a man speaking banal platitudes is easy. Hearing and hearkening to the voice of the Lord is difficult. Man's voice is offered to you, even forced upon you, because men rule by force. The Lord's voice, however, must be humbly sought. He never compels belief. Let's talk about rulers. The Book of Mormon, the most correct book of any book on the earth, has much to say. What? I'm sorry. Oh, never mind. Has had much to say on the topic of rulers. In fact, I was planning to quote some items here, but the ruler theme is so prevalent that I simply don't have space to quote all that is relevant. So I'll summarize. Upon arriving in the promised land after fleeing the destruction of Jerusalem under a wicked king Zedekiah in Jeremiah 52, verse 2, the Nephite group soon asked Nephi to be their king. Within a few generations, the Nephites were largely destroyed. 
Omni uh, chapter 1 verse 5 and incomplete apostasy also Omni chapter 1 but verse 11 upon arriving in the promised land after fleeing great destruction brought about by apostasy the Jaredites asked ask for a king which the brother of Jared said surely lead us into captivity in Easter chapter 6 verse 22 through 23 they got their king and they got their captivity in Easter 7 and verse 5 other rulers in the Book of Mormon provide similarly disastrous results. Noah, anybody? It just says anybody. <laughs> I don't know. And yet, even late in the Nephite history, a group called Kingmen, who were favor, in favor of kings because they were those of high birth and they sought to be kings, nearly proved the entire destruction of the Nephite civilization again. They were supported by those who sought power and authority over the people. Alma 51, verse 8. Fact is, when men lust for power and authority, destruction is always the result. Maybe this is why Jacob warned us that this land shall be a land of liberty unto the Gentiles, and there shall be no kings upon the land, for he that riseth up a king against me shall perish, for I, the Lord, the King of heaven, will be their king. 2 Nephi, chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Too bad so few listen to Jacob, right? But this is all kind of silly when you think about it, because those of Book of Mormon, that are those Book of Mormon prophets, sure wasted a lot of time in gold plate space warning us about kings when we don't have any, right? Why would they do that? Well, let's think about it. There were not, they were not writing to the Nephites. They wrote to us, Moroni saw our day, Mormon 8.35, and sought that ye may learn to be more wise than we have been, Mormon 9.31. The continual warnings about our rulers are not there by mistake. Indeed, Mosiah warned us about kings, saying it is not expedient that such abominations should come upon you, Mosiah 29.24. Abominations are sins that are justified and enforced by false religious belief, asking Noah's people how that worked out for them. The warnings are not about our political rulers. They are about our religious rulers who seek power and authority over the people. People, Alma 51.8. Because, as Joseph Smith reminds us from prison, no power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, period. PNC 121, verse 41. And now, here's the decision you must make. When you own up to your agency, stop following Satan and seek to act rather than be acted upon, you'll have to choose who to believe. Just like Adam, you will encounter many willing to preach, you, preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with scripture. And if you ask for them like Adam, there will also be true messengers bearing a message from the Lord. You must discern for yourself the difference. You cannot rely on a man's office or title to make him a true messenger. This brings us back, as always, to the words of Christ. As you recall from Luke 22, Christ identified the Gentile affliction, quote, Luke 22, verse 24 through 25, and there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted to the greatest. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. And now, having warned us in the very next verse, Christ tells us how to get it right. In Luke 22, 26 through 27, But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that do, doth serve. 
For whether it is, is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Rulers are very different than servants, and that difference ought to be obvious to us. Christ came to serve. Others sought to rule. It was the religious rulers who rejected and killed the Lord. Can you see the difference between a ruler and a servant? To help make it more obvious, here's an outline adapted from my friend Brian Beckel. Rulers versus servants. And there is a uh, chart. Rulers act autonomously with that's what it is, autonomously, within their sphere of influence. Servants are owned by someone else. Rulers have followers, have, and servants have no followers, only a master. Rulers take initiative. Servants do only what their master instructs them to do. Rulers are authority figures, and servants have no authority except that granted by their master as his agent. Rulers represent themselves as servants represent their master. Rulers are almost always bold as servants are almost always meek. Rulers seek attention and servants would rather not be the object of attention. Rulers may be part of a ruling hierarchy. Servants answer to a single master. No servant is above another. Rulers are upwardly mobile and seek to increase power and influence. Servants understand that their role will always be that of a servant. Rulers demonstrate loyalty to those who will help maintain or increase their influence. Servants demonstrate loyalty only to their master. Rulers often compromise standards to maintain power and influence. Servants cannot deviate from what their master instructs them to do, even if it's unpopular or difficult. Rulers are typically ambitious as servants are typically meek. Rulers focus on power, authority, rank. Servants focus on obedience to their master. Rulers often maintain power through control or compulsion. Servants have no ability to control or compel, so they only persuade. Rulers seek to become popular to maintain influence. Servants understand their role is not to please anyone but their master. Rulers seek to be above others. Servants are willing to descend below all others. Rulers seek to be served. Servants seek to, to serve. Rulers tend to be lifted up with pride. pride. Servants are willing to perform degradating and demeaning tasks. Rulers have titles that convey prestige and honor. Servants typically have generic titles or no titles at all. Rulers are called by the most formal version of their name. Don't forget those offices and initials. Servants often called by a first name only. Rulers wear outward symbols of power and authority, business suits, white shirts, and ties, cufflinks, clean-cut grooming. Note Satan's apparel in the temple ceremony, complete with an apron to outwardly convey his authority. Servants eschew the outward symbols of power and authority. Note the plain apparel of Peter, James, and John in the temple ceremony with nothing that conveys, conveys their position. Rulers surround themselves with the luxury trappings of success, luxury, ease, servant, security. Ser servants own nothing. Everything belongs to their master. Rulers focus on the majority. Servants focus on serving one at a time. 
Rulers are aloof and standoffish. Servants are approachable. Rulers are sometimes willing to kill or destroy to maintain power. Servants are willing to be killed or destroyed in their master's service. Rulers are typically male. Servants are as likely to be female as male. Rulers stand in the spotlight. Servants work behind the scenes. Rulers are idolized and adored. Servants are overlooked and shunned. Rulers cultivate an aura of infallibility in order to garner the confidence of those they rule. Servants are willing to admit their failures and weaknesses. Rulers point to themselves. Servants point to their master. Rulers say, follow me. Servants say, follow my master. Serving two masters. Said our Lord in Matthew 6:24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. End quote. You cannot be loyal to Christ as your king while swearing an oath of allegiance to man, particularly when that man claims to have a set of priesthood keys by which he can save you or damn you, thus usurping Christ's role of Savior as his own. Any man who makes such a claim is a false Christ and may deceive many. In the Doctrine and Covenants, Joseph Smith is given by Jesus Christ the power to bless and fill and curse and loose. So, um, anyway, go ahead, Kim. In Matthew 24, 24, it says, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall shew great signs and wonders, and so much that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. End quote. There is only one Savior, and when he comes, he will wear red, not sit on it. And yet, in our last LDS General Conference, Elder Nelson taught the following verbatim. His words are in blue with my comments in red. I guess I'll just read it, right? Blue, but man's ways are not and never will be the Lord's ways. Red, got it. Men screw up continually, the Lord doesn't. Blue, our sustaining of prophets is a personal commitment that we will do our utmost to uphold their prophetic priorities. Red, wait, what? A man's priorities? What about the Lord's priorities? Didn't you just say man's ways are not the Lord's ways? Blue, our sustaining is an oath-like indication that we recognize their calling as a prophet to be legitimate and binding upon us. Red, so this is like swearing an oath to be bound by a man. Does that make him or our ruler? And then back in black. In the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope is in fact a genuine political king, complete with a sovereign kingdom. The cardinals are called the princes of the, earth, the church. While I can't agree with making men religious rulers, this approach is at least honest. They tell you what they are. When we are similarly honest in looking at the way we regard our LDS religious leaders, we not only treat them as rulers, but we go so far as to treat them as actual idols. General Conference is just around the corner now that Elder Nelson has taught you of the oath-like commitment that binds you to the one you you raise your arm to sustain. The question is, to whom will you make that oath? One thing is certain. You won't hear the following words at conference. It is proposed that we sustain our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as our sovereign Lord, God, and King, putting his will above that 
of any other office, person, or institution. All those in favor, please manifest it. No, you won't hear that. You'll be asked to make an oath to a man. Therefore, when the oath-like indication is asked of you, what will you do? If you are loyal to the Savior, but you refuse to swear an oath to a man, and you are then punished for your refusal, whose church is it? What does that tell you? Um, it says, this Easter weekend, the LDS General Conference, you'll be given an opportunity to shower your, loyal your loyalty. You'll be expected to make an oath, binding you to a man who is your de facto ruler. Are you in favor or are you opposed? Heaven is watching, and more than you might realize, the eternity hangs in the balance. Please manifest it. That's the end of what you wanted me to read. Would you like this? Sure, sure. Hold on. I just finished eating. And Kim is going to sleep because she always goes to sleep right around midnight. <laughs> um, she wakes up at 8 in the morning. That's 8 hours, Kim. Oh my gosh. You know, when I, when I sleep, I sleep from about 9 to 2. 9 a.m. to 2. PM. And I have to wake up in the middle of that to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, brother. If I did right. your, your job, then I would sleep during the day, too, when I was driving. <laughs> or during you the night. You would sleep during the day when I was you were driving? Yeah, that's how I am. Uh, you know, wouldn't that be nice? We have automatic pilot on our, on our vehicles, and we could just be like, GPS, take me to wherever you want to go, and Anyone, you know, uh, yeah, and set an alarm 10 minutes before I get there, wake me up <laughs> so I can brush my teeth and comb my hair and get ready to get up. <laughs> be awesome. Oh, man. All right, let's uh, bring Alan up to see if he's listening, see if he has any comments on anything. Are you there, Alan? Hello. I guess he's not. Oh, brother. That's what I get for bringing people up that I don't, like, warn them in advance. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, I've got some other stuff that I wanted to look into as well. So I'm going to pull that up. Um, there's an article that... Um, oh, we don't have time for that. You know what we can do? I know what we can do. Let's read 95 Thesis. I've been meaning to get into this anyway. So I'm going to go to www.ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T. You can also find the links to this at thekingdomofgodornothing.com. Go to Ogden Crown and click on that, and then scroll down to books, and we're going to look at 95 Thesis, which is something that there's over 100 uh, topics that uh, were restored to the earth that the church has changed. Um, so this guy, 
that I'm talking to on uh, Facebook, he's like, the church has never changed. It's the same uh, ch- same church to Joseph Smith restored, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, when you only read what they spoon-feed you at church, the cafeteria stuff that they, like, pick and choose for you to learn, you don't get to read about the rest. They hide it. They lie. And that's why there's a huge amount of people leaving the church right now. They're disgusted because they're finding out all these lies. Because guess what? The church never had any idea that there was going to be an Internet. And they had no idea. And they thought that they could just bury things, you know. But guess what? Uh, in the scriptures it says that uh, all things will be known, right? That everybody, the sins will be shouted from the housetop. Well, you can't hide anything in, in today's world. So you might as well just come out with it, you know. And the, the church finally is, but they were forced into it by people like John DeWitt. So who started exposing it? There for a minute. All right, let's see. 95 Thesis. This is, so the original 95 Thesis was the 95 points of doctrine that uh, the, the Catholic Church had changed that were biblical, that, you know, um, it was pounded on the door by Martin Luther. And um, it actually, I had excommunicated him to, to, to put him to death for it. So we'll just begin at the beginning here. Um, okay, so let's see. 95 Thesis by Ogden Crowd. If any man writes to you or preaches to you doctrines contrary to the Bible, Book of Mormon, or Doctrine and Covenants set him down as an imposter, Joseph Smith. I have a problem with that statement because there's lots of stuff in the Bible that I'm finding out now that were added by the Catholic Church. Like this whole thing about women not being able to, to speak in church, that they should be silent. That is not anywhere in the, or the, the earliest manuscripts. It wasn't until uh, the manuscripts around three or 400 years after Christ that that started popping up. Basically, it was like the church hierarchy, no hierarchy, telling the nuns to shut the traps. It is not doctrine. So it is contrary to the doctrine as we have it through the Bible now, that originally it was never written. And there's lots of stuff like that all throughout the scriptures. So you and, and uh, Peter, Peter, the apostle Peter, Petra, um, he said, scripture's not for private interpretation. Why would he say that? It's because it's not for the interpretation of somebody just to go and interpret. It is when you do study it out, you come to a conclusion about what you think it is. You tell God what you think by the by the Holy Spirit. You, you get information, and then you know the interpretation. And like, there's other things too. Like, like I did this. Uh, just one example, okay? So, in, in the first portion of Revelations, it talks a lot about the seven spirits of God. And I'm like, there was only three, you know, <laughs> like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. So. So anyway, um, I studied this out, you know, the seven spirits of God, and I'm like, what does this mean, you know? And, and so I told God what I thought it meant and asked him for confirmation. I wanted to know if it was correct. Guess what happened? The Holy Spirit withdrew from me. I felt the exact opposite. I felt the, the buffetings of Satan. 
which is the exact opposite of the Holy Spirit, you know, anxiety, depression, stress, these type of things. And I was like, oh, okay. So I realized the spirits left me. So obviously what I believe is false doctrine. So I said, Heavenly Father, I realize this is false doctrine now. Thank you for answering. And this is how it works. It doesn't always work this way. Sometimes you're just given the answer. So anyway, but um, so I had to figure it out to the best of my ability. And I said, Heavenly Father, what does this mean? I, I don't understand this scripture. And he told me that under the direction of God, the eternal Father for this earth, there are seven mighty and strong ones. They are our Father, not God the eternal Father, uh, Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, the stem, the root, the rod, and the branch. These are servants of God. And they are all gods. But we don't worship them as gods. In fact, Jesus Christ, who is a God, he's God the Redeemer, he said that there is none good but one, and that is God your Father. And he pointed people to worship him. So when these people worship Jesus Christ, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. But we need to worship the Father. So anyway, but so God gave me the answer. And then, okay, now remember, here's the next step. You have to follow this next step. You get your answer from God. It usually comes by the still small whisperings of the Holy Spirit. I write it down. I like to write it down. And then I say, Heavenly Father, this is what I believe you told me. Is this right? And the Holy Spirit came down on me like fire, and I knew that it was right. But there's a lot of times when God will tell you things, and then you you twist it up in your own head through your own filters, and then you have to go back and say, well, Heavenly Father, is this what you meant? And then the Spirit withdraws from you, and you're like, okay, let me ponder over this more, you know. But, you know, but people don't go through those steps, and they just go and run amok with what they think God is telling them, and it's like, no, God is not telling you that, you know. Anyway, continuing on, we get one quote into the book, and I'm going on and on for 10 minutes about it. So Kim's laughing at me. Oh, what are you going to say? I'm just going to say that this is what happens when you leave you to yourself to, to do your own things for a while. You need somebody who's, like, direct and just, like, goal-oriented, you know? Like yeah, you, and then you don't go off on all these tangents. We just read what's supposed to be written. Well, Kim, yeah. you get eight hours of sleep every night. I only got like five or six at the most. Um, you could put a blanket on your window and sleep in a little bit, and then you could stay up for the show. I will run that by my boss. And whenever it, Who's your boss? You're your boss. You don't have a boss. Do you, have you met uh, our kids yet? <laughs> <laughs> I will introduce you to them sometime. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you can put a cover you know on there. I got woken up this morning. How? Eliza knocked on my door and said, Mom, I have a poopy butt. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe you should start putting her in a crib again so she can't get out. Uh, no. <laughs> She's anyway, a three-year-old. <laughs> yes, dear. All right, we have, uh, when we have God's word pure and clear, 
then we think ourselves all right. We become negligent and respond or repose in a vain security. We no longer pay due heed, thinking it will always so remain. We do not watch and pray against the devil who is ready to tear the divine word out of our hearts. No greater mischief can happen to a Christian people than to have God's word taken from them or falsified so that they no longer have it pure and clear. God grant we and our descendants be not witnesses of such calamity. Martin Luther. On October 31st, 1571, Martin Luther posted 95 thesis on the doors of the Wittenberg Chapel in Germany. These propositions were an appeal for the more scholarly church members to discuss or debate uh, them with Martin Luther at Wittenberg University. Luther's intent in writing the thesis was not to condemn the church nor to tell the Pope how it should be run, but rather to evaluate the differences between the Bible teachings and the ever-increasing new innovations which were creeping into the doctrines of their faith. His writing was sparked by an authoritative change in doctrine, the Pope's cell of indulgences. Luther became aware of the discrepancies between the words of church leaders and the words of the Lord. There was also a contradiction between the teachings of one Pope to that of another. But the trend of making the people believe more in the ideologies of church leaders than in the doctrines of the Bible appear to Luther as the greatest danger to their salvation. It is not out of reason to expect the Latter-day Saints to also evaluate today's doctrinal teachings and compare them to the scriptures and the revelations of the Lord. All of the general councils of the church have advised the members to search and study the scriptures. For example, quote, the Savior urged us to search the scriptures to find the way of life, John chapter 5, verse 39. Everyone owes it to himself to find Christ's truth and finding it to hold fast to it. And quote, Church News, May 4th, 1974, page 16. A similar and very, very timely article was written in 1965 as an editorial in the church news. This article represented one of the finest literary masterpieces of ecclesiastical penmanship that has come from the present-day leadership of the church. It is not only accurate in its analysis of gospel principles, but emphasizes their eternal scope. It lets the reader envision the eternal nature of the promises and rewards which are attached to the everlasting principles of the gospel. It also challenges the reader to make comparisons of church doctrine with the scriptures. A major portion of the article read, quote, our unchangeable deity. One of the most important things we may learn about our religion is that God is unchangeable the same yesterday, today, and forever. By this, we may know that the principles of salvation will always remain the same and that we need not be disturbed by new ideas or modern innovations in the gospel which may come our way. The gospel cannot possibly be changed. The heavens we hope to achieve is eternal and 
unchangeable. Therefore, to bring the same human nature to the same goal, regardless of the time in which a person lives, requires the same steps and procedures. For that reason, the saving principles must ever be the same. They can never change. To say that the gospel may be changed is to say that either God has changed or that human nature is no longer human nature. It is obvious, therefore, that no one can change the gospel and that if they attempt to do so, they only set up a man-made system, which is not the gospel, but merely a reflection of their own views. And since only God can save, only his gospel can save. And if we substitute any other gospel, there is no salvation in it. I just wanted to say, I was talking to Kevin about this book the other day, and um, I guess uh, Ogden was uh, on, a way, on the way down to Manti for some reason, and he stopped in a, a little motel on the way down, and he started writing. This book was written in two days, and it's a pretty long book. He he just felt like he needed to start writing. And, he, and this is before Internet. This is before computers. I think they may have had Commodores back then, but, you know, you, didn't, you don't have the resources. And he, this spirit, the spirit just it told him what to say. And he wrote this in like a period of two days. Anyway, continuing, knowing as we do that man-made religion has no power to save and realizing that we all have souls which require salvation, we should selfishly, in our own best interest, make certain that we accept the right religion, God's religion, and not try to work our way into his kingdom by some man-made theory. Because remember, you cannot go over the wall you have to come through the gate. If you try to go over the wall, you're cast out into outer darkness. That's scripture. Are the doctrines and rituals of the church in harmony with the Bible, or are they the creations of men who, though well-meaning, have gone off on a tangent? If the principles by which any of us attempt to save ourselves are contrary to the Bible, we may know that they are man's teachings, not God's. For the Lord and his gospel remain the same, always. Church News, June 5th, 1965, page 16. We're on page 9. This challenge and comparison applies to every person claiming to be a Christian. It is, a necessary, it is necessary for a man to find out if their salvation is founded on a man-made system or the creations of men, even though they, they came from honorable and well-weaning. Well, oh, I can't say this. I have a little bit of dys, dyslexia sometimes, and I like switch the syllables around. Well-meaning men. Oh, okay. Sorry. It creeps up on me sometimes, and then we all laugh at my silly words. The Church of Jesus Christ is not an exception. It should be to stand comparative tests better than any other church. The following 95 thesis contains only a sample of many such references on important principles and ordinances of the gospel. So it's basically giving you a taste. But you can go way into this. You can, I mean, 
Anyway, this compilation is written with the intent of making a comparison of the teachings in the Bible and the Latter-day Scriptures with those of present-day church leaders. There's also a comparison of present-day church teachings with those of former church leaders. However, the purpose of this book is not just to compare principles of the gospel as taught anciently to those in modern times. The main object is to better acquaint the reader with many of the principles which were taught both in the Bible and at the time of the restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ upon the earth. I'm adding that part. The rest, that's what the restoration is. But which have gradually faded out of the realm of modern Christianity. If the principles by which we attempt to be saved are contrary to the Bible and the other scriptures, then we may know they are man's teachings, not God's. For, he, for the Lord and his gospel remain the same always. See, the church wants to say the gospel and the church are the same, but that's not true. The gospel is eternal. The church is not eternal. Um, although God's church with the gospel in it, when it, it's run by him, will not be in a, it won't go into a pot. Well, I don't believe it will. That'd be messed up. Anyway, the everlasting principles and doctrines of the gospel should always remain the same. For surely a century should not make a difference in eternal principles. If it does, then we may know that something is wrong. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only true church upon the face of the earth. Nevertheless, it too has its problems with a multitude of preachers who have arisen with heresies, conflicting doctrines, and a vast assortment of opinions. Each Latter-day Saint should, start, uh, should search the scriptures and determine what the Lord has said. It is only upon that rock that the gates of hell will not prevail. So what rock is he talking about? When Jesus uh, sent his apostles out and they came back, he said, well, who did, you, or how, who did they say that I am? And they told him, and uh, he says to his apostles in the New Testament, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and upon, or he said, uh, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, Peter, but my father, which is in heaven. So, so the father gave revelation to Peter that Jesus Christ was his son. And Jesus said, and upon this rock, upon the rock of revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the Catholics want to say, well, Peter's name was Petra, and that means rock, little rock. Um, and the church is built upon Peter because he's the first pope, basically. Even though it doesn't talk about that in the Bible, he was the president of the church at the time he was the leader of the Twelve. But <laughs> the Catholic Church can't just say the, the rock is revelation because they don't get revelation. They don't get thus saith the Lord. There's been no prophets in the Catholic Church. So they have to twist it, right? But the rock Jesus was talking about was the rock of revelation. And if you build your house or you build your church and you build your foundation upon the rock of the revelation given by the Father, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Page 11, the word of God. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand 
forever. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. To the law and to the testimony, they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, and also 2 Nephi chapter 18, verse 20. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. And the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. John chapter uh, 12, verse 48. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. For if you are, for you shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, verse 44. Search these commandments, for they are true and faithful. And the prophecies and promises which it are in them shall all be fulfilled. What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. And though the heavens and the earth shall pass away, my word shall not pass away. Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, verse 37 and 38. But today, do the people of the church want to safeguard? And this is the differences. Okay, that is the scripture. Here's what the modern presidents and apostles and prophets of the LDS Church teach, which it contradicts the early restoration of the church. Do the people of the church want a safeguard to what is well for them to do? It is this, to keep in harmony with the presidency of this church, accept and follow the teachings and advice of the president. This was giving, uh, given in the church's Enzyme magazine, October 1972. Now, remember, this book was written a long time ago. It actually, it would be well for somebody to go through and update these things uh, with what the church actually teaches now because it's, it's still changing, you know. And there's so much more, like, we could, like, probably write papers on each one of these topics, but he's giving you a taste of what, you know, what the scriptures are saying and then what the church is teaching that is different. So the second, uh, the second uh, topic is true principles. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophies and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Search the scriptures, search the revelations which we publish, and ask your Heavenly Father in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, to manifest the truth of it unto you. And if you do it with an eye single to His glory, doubting nothing, because He wants you to be believing, He will answer you by the power of His Holy Spirit. You will then know for yourselves and not for another. You will not... You will not then be dependent on a man for the knowledge of God, because remember the scripture says, "Cursed be they who trust in the flesh." Right? Because God wants you to trust Him. He wants you to hear the prophets, and then He wants you to go to the prophets because you lack wisdom, and ask Him. He wants you to study it out. He wants you to read the prophets. But if you just trust Peter, 
or you just trust your scriptures without getting revelation from God, you might be believing in the vain philosophies of man as as made up in your mind or given to you by some false minister or prophet, right? God wants you to go to him to find out what the truth is. Anyway, you will not then be dependent on a man for knowledge of God, nor will there be any room for speculation. No, when men receive their instruction from him that made them, they will know how, uh, they know how he will save them. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 11 and 12. Let me just say this too. Sometimes you study and you study and you study and you study for years. Like when I wanted to know what it meant to have your calling and election made sure, I, I asked, I studied it out from 97 to 2003. I knew what the scriptures said. I knew what the prophets said. But I wanted to know what God said. And I studied and I prayed. But in the spring of 2003, I was shown what it meant when I was sealed up into the Father and I saw him face to face. And now I know what it means to have your calling election made sure. And the reason I talk about this is because Sometimes God doesn't give you the answer right away, but he wants you to continue to study it, ponder. And you know what? During all those years, I had many other questions, and I would study it out, and I would ask God, and guess what? I've been given all kinds of revelations. I've been shown things in visions and in dreams. I've been taught by the Spirit. But for all those years, I didn't know what it meant to have a calling and election made sure until I received my calling and election. And now I know. And sometimes it takes a while to get the answers. But as you are faithful and you continue to study and you continue to go to God, you get revelation. And he will teach you. He will teach men, women, and children. It doesn't matter who you are. If you have an eye single to the glory of God and you are believing this little child and you study it out, if you're not lawful, you're going to study it out. And he will speak to you by the power of his Holy Spirit and through the the voice of his angels. And sometimes he will speak to you face-to-face. And I know many who've seen Jesus at least face-to-face. I think I know one other person who claims to have seen the Father besides myself, and I don't know if he's seen him or not. So anyway, men may preach and practice everything except those things which God commands us to do and will be damned at last. We may pay, or we may tithe mint of rue, mint and rue, and all manner of herbs, and still not obey the commandments of God. The object with me is to obey and teach others to obey God in just what He tells us to do. It matters not whether the principle is popular or unpopular. I will always maintain a true principle, even if I stand alone in it. Joseph Smith. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 223. Who will become gods? Those who are valiant and inspired with the true independence of heaven. Who will go forth boldly in the service of their God, leaving others to do as they please. Determined to do right through all mankind besides, uh, though all mankind besides should take the opposite course from the supply to any of you, your own hearts can answer. Brigham Young, 
Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 312. Emmett, can you bring me my scripture case? I need a little black book in it. Um, I want to look up uh, some scriptures here because he just made a point talking about who will become gods. Well, when you become a joint heir with Jesus Christ and the Father, guess what? I'm going to take that plan out of here. You become a joint heir, and he gives you all that he has, right? You become part of the Elohim. It's a process, but this this is... This is the goal that God wants for you. Not only salvation, but also exaltation. He wants to crown you with glory. Uh, you know, and, and God's work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of men and women. Let's see here. I'm just trying to in this book that I I think I may have put it in a different because Jesus actually talks about this as well. It's not in here. Oh well. But he talks about um about this, you know, have not I said ye are gods the children of the most high. That's in Psalms. And he quotes it. Because they were like, You you proclaim to be the son of God. There is none or no God but one and you know and Jesus was like, isn't it written in the scriptures that I said ye are gods and the children of the Most High? So if, uh, so, um, if, I can't remember how I said it, and I don't remember where the scripture is, I'm sorry. I wish I had this book, it helps me. But anyway, but that's the goal. God wants to bring us into his presence and crown us with glory and give us authority to be creators so that we can go and create uh, and be in charge of things because his work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of man and to fill the universe with his creation and his children. So, and today, uh, the church teaches, brethren, Keep your eye on the president of this church. If he tells you to do anything and it is wrong and you do it, the Lord will bless you for it. Heber J. Grant and Harold B. Lee, Enzyme, October 1972. See, that is cultish. If God tells you something, that's one thing. But if a man tells you something, even if it's wrong and you know it's wrong, and you do it because you are following the prophet, you're putting your trust in the arm of flesh, not in God. And I would tell that prophet to go shove it up his what? Because I wouldn't do it. I would not do it. Uh, God, God is our final leader, no man on the earth. And even though I have a witness and I am who I am, just as Jesus Christ was a witness and an apostle of the Father, when, when they said, good master, you know, that Jesus said, why callest thou me good? There is only one good, and that is God. God is your fire leader. Jesus was a prophet, and he was the only God. I am a prophet and a witness. But we need to turn to our Father in heaven. He is God, and he is our fire leader. Which brings us to the next point, topic three, fire leaders. 
For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John chapter 14, verse 6. We talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Second Nephi chapter 25, verse 26. When the children of Israel were chosen with Moses at their head, they were to be a peculiar people among whom God should place his name. Their motto was, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our king, and he shall reign over us. While in this state, they might truly say, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. uh, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 252. But the greatest and most important of all requirements of our Father in heaven and of his Son, Jesus Christ, is to his brethren or disciples to believe in Jesus Christ, to profess Jesus, to seek Jesus, to cling to him, make friends with him, take a course to open and keep open a communication with your elder brother or violator, our Savior. And quote Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 339. But today... With warnings and safeguards, such as the Lord provides, need anyone be deceived? If we follow the president of the church, we need never go astray. Church News, August 17, 1974, page 16. False doctrine. It's because the church has, has become a cult. This is cultish. Topic four, infallibility. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No, not one. You can find that spoken of in Ecclesiastes 8.20, Proverbs 20, verse 9, and 1 John 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy and say, Thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, thy prophets are like foxes in the deserts. Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he putteth not, and he putteth not into their mouths, they uh, they even prepare war against him. Therefore, night shall be unto you that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you that ye shall not divine. See, this is the state of the prophets today. They don't have visions. They do not divine. The sun shall go down over over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. They shall are right, then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. Micah 
chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. It's talking about the great apostasy. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Take heed that no man deceives you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, or I am anointed. That's what that means. Um, and they shall deceive many, and many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. Matthew chapter 24, verses 3, 4, 5, and 11. And I get this one thrown up about me all the time. You know, well, he said there would be many false. But guess what? There's at least two prophets in the book of Revelation that are true prophets and apostles and witnesses. Well, he calls them witnesses, right? The two witnesses. What do you think they're witnesses of? They're witnesses. They are apostles. They are prophets of God. And they come in mortality because, remember, they die in the streets. They're not immortal beings. They're not angels. They die in the streets. And on the third day, they're resurrected. Well, if you just throw everybody out that, that says that they're a prophet, because, remember, God willed that all his children were prophets according to Moses. And if you lack wisdom, ask God, which means you receive revelation for yourself. And in Revelation, it says the gift or the testimony of Jesus Christ comes by the gift of prophecy or revelation. That means you're a prophet. Well, guess what? Yeah, there's many false prophets, but guess what? It takes a, it takes a true prophet to see a false prophet. And for those who weren't prophets, which they should be, but if they're not, they, they don't know. And they will say all of these people are, are false prophets, even the true ones, and they reject the two witnesses when they come because they think that they're – and they quote the scripture right here. Anyway, continuing on, and they who are not apostles and prophets shall be known, and even the bishop who is a judge and his counselors, if they are not faithful in their stewardship, shall be condemned, and others shall be planted in their stead. Talked about that in Doctrine and Covenants, section 70, or 64, 39 through 40. It also talks about these things in, well, DNC section 85, but that's talking about the one mighty and strong that sets the house of God in order. Now, why does it say that? Okay, so why does it say the bishop who is a judge, right? Because the bishop are by God to be a judge over the church. And if the prophets and the apostles lead the church into apostasy and transgression, it is the duty of the bishop and his counselors to excommunicate the prophet of the church or the president of the church. That's why it talks about the bishop there. But today, the saints are now told that they should follow the men whom they sustain as prophets, seers, and revelators, for they will, know, or they will lead no one astray. It's the infallibility false doctrine. They, they say that they can't lead you astray, right? And you just ease yourself into carnal security and say, all is well in Zion, and go half to sleep, and they lead you into the ditch or into hell, damnation, but it's false doctrine. It was made up by Wilfred Woodruff when he went against the commandments of God and the revelations of Jesus Christ which Jesus Christ told them not to give up plural celestial marriage, but they did it anyway. He said, sign no contract with your enemies, but he did it anyway. 
and a lot of people were very unhappy about this. And he said, well, the president of the church cannot lead you astray, and I have not led you astray, so you must follow me and follow the doctrine. And you know what's really screwed up about this? Even though they put the to whom it may concern false revelation out there, it's known as the manifesto. In 1890, they still continued to live plural marriage in secret all the way up till 1910. All while saying, the president of the church cannot lead you astray, but we're going to be living this law, because, you know, it's just like <laughs> they were trying to serve two masters. They were trying to serve the devil, Babylon the Great, and they were trying to serve God. And But they, they rejected what Jesus Christ told John, John Taylor. He told Wilfred Woodruff. They just rejected it. And you know what? When Wilfred Woodruff, he was a keynote speaker at the Bohemian Club, which is part of the Bohemian Grove. And if you don't know what the Bohemian Grove is, type it in, Bohemian Grove in, in YouTube, and type in Alex Jones, and you will find how wicked these people are, right? Uh, not, not the church, but the fact that he was a keynote speaker at one of their meetings Oh my gosh, how far are you going to deprave to, to lick the boots of your captors, Wilford Woodruff? And do you know the night after, at 6 in the morning, they, they had dinner that night. He gave the, the keynote address, and he started having stomach problems. And by 6 in the morning, perfectly healthy, healthy man was dead, stone cold dead. That's how Wilford Woodruff died. He was murdered. Church doesn't teach you that. They sweep it into the carpet and go on, right? Do you know that when Lorenzo Snow was uh, was put in as president of the church, he went into the Holy of Holies in the Salt Lake Temple expecting to see Jesus Christ? And he prayed in that Salt Lake Temple in the Holy of Holies, and Jesus did not come. And so he thought, maybe I need to repent. Is there something I can do? I need to purify myself. He tried three times. On the third time, Jesus Christ and the church teach the church actually tells you Lorenzo Snow saw Jesus Christ in the hallway of the temple just outside of the Holy of Holies, which it's like, why was he in the Holy of Holies? Like, why didn't he just go to the Holy of Holies? That's where he's supposed to go, right? Tell you the rest of it. He did see Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ said, I will not go back in that room pointing at the Holy of Holies because you have rejected my gospel. And he didn't. But Lorenzo Snow, or <laughs> Lorenzo Snow saw him, and the church says that, you know, bolster her claims. It's kind of like the whole 15 million member thing. You know, they have 15 million members, but if you add up the words, uh, the words and branches, <laughs> they would have to have like a thousand people in each ward to have 15 million members at the numbers they give you. Mormon math. You can't figure it out because it's lies. They want to bolster their claims. Yes, Lorenzo Snow saw Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ rebuked him. And Jesus Christ has not been back in the Holy of Holies since. And he will not until the setting in order happens, spoken of in the NC section 85, where Jesus says, I will send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, because it would get <laughs> Principle number five, trust not me or flesh. Trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in a guide. Micah chapter 7, verse 5. 
Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose and and who whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah chapter seventeen, verse five. And what it means to make flesh your arm is that you actually uh, trust yourself so much that you're going to teach. Without giving any any revelation, you actually go and you teach people false doctrines. And God says you're cursed for doing that. Cursed be the the man that trusteth in men and maketh flesh his arm. I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh, for I know that cursed is he that putteth his trust in the arm of flesh. Second Nephi, chapter 4, verse 34. The weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones. That man should not counsel his fellow man, neither trust in the arm of flesh. Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 1, verse 19. And what that means is that, yeah, you can teach, you can preach, you can, you can do those things, but you have to tell the people and teach the people to get revelation for themselves and confirmation. When God tells you something through the whisperings of the Spirit, or even if you hear his voice audibly, you need to say, okay, Heavenly Father, this is what I believe you told me. Is it right? And get confirmation through the Holy Spirit. And then when you do that, you are built upon the rock of revelation. And then you know without a doubt what is true and what is not. This is how you learn. This is how you become a prophet. And you know what? God gives you a little bit here, a little bit there, like a carrot in front of a donkey. He will start to give you more and more and more, especially if you follow these patterns. Continuing, can I save you? No, I can only advise the right course and encourage and aid in the walking therein. It then remains for them to take a course which I advise, and I always advise people to adopt that policy which Joseph taught and and advocated and which Brother Brigham now lays before us from day to day. This is what will save you. You cannot be saved upon any other principle. I have power to save myself, and if I do not save myself, who will save me? All have that privilege, and not none of us can but but, uh, by obedience, but by obedience to the commandments of God. Okay, Old English. This is Hebrews C. Kimball, Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 267. My grandpa said it in a really good way. Only you can save yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you can save yourself because you are a redeemer or a god or anything. But who has the ability to accept Jesus Christ into your Lord and your heart as your uh, into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Who else? You alone. Who has the ability to seek baptism by the hand of an authorized servant of God for the, for you know by immersion for the remission of sins? Only you have the ability to do that. Only you can save yourself. And, and, you know, in in, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, what does it say? Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter said unto unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for a remission of your sins, and then you shall receive the, the Holy Ghost. 
Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Jesus Christ went to a place where there was much water to John the Baptist or the baptizer. It wasn't so that he can get sprinkled. He could have done that at any of the wells in the area. He went to a place where there was much water because they needed the immersion. Baptism in Greek means to be immersed. And the scriptures also teach us that, um, that you have to have a certain priesthood that was given uh, by, the, by the same way that Moses gave Aaron the priesthood. And how did he do that? By the laying on of hands. He confirmed him with the priesthood. So these preachers and false ministers that run around saying that they can baptize, and most of them don't even baptize him, and they say, cut Jesus in your heart and believe. The devils believe, and they're damned. And the devil wants you to believe in that way because there is an ordinance that has to happen. You have to come through the gate correctly. And if you don't, the devil has power over you. You have to do it correctly. Anyway, um, I'm trying to remember how my grandfather, he's been dead for 11 years now, but he taught me. Let's see. Yeah, I'm just not, I don't have it. I'm going to have to take a break here in a a minute. I've got to go use the rest. In fact, you know what? We're just going to read one last section, and then I've got to be done for the night. I've got to go get ready for work, and I've got to go to the bathroom, which really sucks when you're on a live radio program. Anyway, how often has it been taught that if you depend entirely upon the voice and judgment and sagacity of those appointed to lead you and neglect to enjoy the Spirit for yourself, how easily you may be led into error and finally be cast off to the left hand? Journal, uh, Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 59. But today, the church leaders are taught Members of the church are taught that it behooves us as Latter-day Saints to put our trust in the presiding authorities of the church. That was written by, Doc, uh, by Joseph F. Smith, the sixth president of the church in Doctrines of Salvation, page 243. All right, so when we come back tomorrow, we'll continue on. Uh, like I said, you can read this for yourself on page 16. Uh, personal testimony, and you can find it at thekingdomofgodornothing.com. Go to Ogden Kraut and then scroll down to 95 Thesis. Click on that link, and you can read the whole book for yourself. You know. So anyway, like I said, I really have to go to the bathroom, and I really need to get ready for work. So we're just going to go out with um, Mountain of God by Third Day. And then I'm just going to end the program. So thank you for listening to the program, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. I thought that I was all alone, broken and afraid. But you were there with me. Yes, you were there with me. Well, and I didn't even know that I had lost my way. But you were
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite songs social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus